0: So the way this weekend happened was, uh, Andrew asked which, uh, what I'd like to speak on, and one thing was I'd had a few Psalms before, so I'd preached on four different Psalms, and I gave them to Andrew, and he saw the theme of suffering. And so uh, through God's providence, that's how we got our uh, topic for this weekend. So what I'll be doing is focusing on three different Psalms. Uh, it's, no, it's not a systematic presentation of suffering this weekend per se but it's more an exposition of the the themes and the theology of the psalms. And that helps us to understand suffering because it relates it back to God and what he tells us about it in his word. So um, let uh, let me just first pray from Psalm 19, and then we'll start with our talk from Psalm 42, 43. So let's pray from Psalm 19. Dear Heavenly Father... We thank you that your law is perfect. We pray that it might revive our soul. We thank you that your testimony is sure. We pray that you might make us wise through it. We thank you for your precepts. We thank you that they are right. We pray that this morning that they might rejoice our heart. We thank you that your commandment is pure. We pray that you might enlighten our eyes. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen." So just a few days before I was about to board a plane to Sydney, I was shaken by the hearing of the news that there was a crash, the crash of the German wings airplane in France. It's not because this crash was sadder than the other ones related to Malaysia recently, but it was because this crash I heard was deliberate. The 27-year-old co-pilot had steered the plane into a French mountain on purpose, killing both himself and the passengers on board. Apparently, it was a case of murder-suicide. The co-pilot had received a psychiatric treatment for depression. Doctor's certificates were found in his house which deemed him unfit to work. It's, it's, possible, it's impossible to know what drove this man to such extreme action. And it could have been a combination of a number of factors. Perhaps it was his personality. Perhaps there were some work stresses involved. Perhaps there were some family issues. And the media suggests it could have been a personal life crisis It seems likely, however, that his depression was clouding his judgement. Now, depression is a common problem around the world. About 1 in 10 people will suffer from depression in their lifetime. In Australia, in any 12-month period, anxiety and depression will affect around about 1 in 20 people. 1 in 20. Now, I couldn't find any official statistics about Malaysia But I did find one study in Current Psychiatric Review from 2011 which suggests the number is about the same in Malaysia. About one in 20 will suffer from depression or anxiety each year. Now this high rate of depression sounds about right to me. Last year I was working in Australia one day a week as a doctor, as a GP. And on average, I would see about two or three patients for depression each day. Now for those of us who are living outside our native country, the chance of depression is even higher. Research shows that the incidence for depression for expatriates, expats, is higher than for the general population. Now if you think about it, it makes sense, doesn't it? We have to deal with a whole whole lot of issues that the locals might not need to. Adjusting to a new country, adjusting to a new culture, having to get used to new roads and the driving etiquette. We have to get used to uh, making new friends and dealing with life without the support of our family. Now, God's people are not spared from depression. I have quite a few Christian friends and colleagues who suffer from depression. Some of my friends lecture at seminaries. Some of them are pastors, some are pastors' wives, and some of these people with depression work with university students. There's a good chance that either you have personally suffered from depression or perhaps you know somebody who has. This is how Charles Spurgeon, the famous 19th century preacher, described his experience of depression. He says, I could weep by the hour like a child. And yet I knew not what I wept for. And Charles Spurgeon also says, the iron bolt mysteriously fastens the door of hope and holds our spirits in gloomy prison. God's people in the Old Testament also suffered from depression. In our psalm today, the psalmist is depressed. As he says in chapter in Psalm 42 verse 5. Take a look at 42 verse 5. Why are you downcast? Why are you cast down my uh, my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? The psalmist's soul is downcast. He is disturbed. He is depressed. And just so we can't miss it, the psalmist repeats his lament. In 42:11, and also in chapter 43 verse 5 also in verse 42 verse 3 he says my tears have been my food day and night emotionally the psalmist is in turmoil he is all over the place he's so down so discouraged that he can't stop crying Depression has affected God's people throughout history. So as Christians, how are we to deal with depression? How are we to deal with it personally? And how are we to deal with it and help our friends and family who are suffering with depression? How? Now putting on my GP hat, my general practitioner hat, there are different ways to treat depression. You can take regular exercise. You can talk things through with a friend. You can seek professional counseling. You can take medications from your doctor. And different people will probably need a different combination of these different treatments. Now, putting on my preacher's hat. As Christians, whether depressed or not, the first thing that we need to do is to remain focused on God. And we need to continue to apply the gospel to our lives. So this morning, we'll examine how the psalmist remained focused on God. Then we'll consider the difference that Jesus makes. So firstly, on your outline, you'll see why is the psalmist depressed? Now, before we look at the psalmist's response, we'll try to work out why he is depressed in the first place. Why? Now, the psalmist mentions a few factors both external factors and internal factors. So externally, we can see that his circumstances are oppressive. Verse 3 says that his enemies say to him all day long, where is your God? Where is he? And verse 10 says the same thing, only it describes the effect as a physical agony. Take a look at verse 10. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? His enemies taunt him because it looks like he's been abandoned. And it may be that the the psalmist is in exile. 42 verse 5 mentions the location as the land of the Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mitzah. Now this region is probably talking about the origin of the Jordan River. The place is far, far north, beyond the border of Israel. Now if the psalmist is in exile outside Israel, you can understand why his enemies would be taunting him. He's been removed from his land. He's been removed from his inheritance. It would seem as if God has forsaken him. It would seem that God has left him in the clutches of his adversaries. And so these external circumstances, his probable exile, the jibes of his enemies, and his physical suffering leads to an internal response. Now he feels as if God has actually abandoned him. Where is your God? And he cries out to God in verses 42, verse 9, and 43, verse 2. 42, 9, and 43, verse 2. Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. And then 43, verse 2. Why have you rejected me? Now often I see this combination of external and internal circumstances in my depressed patients when they come and see me. So yes, some are more prone to be melancholic. Some people are more prone to suffer from depression. But there are almost always external factors involved as well. It may be, the external factor may be some sort of ongoing arguments at home, or maybe even abuse. It may be bullying at school, The external factor may be an overbearing boss at work, it may be heartache from breaking up with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, perhaps a marriage, their marriage is falling apart, or it may be ongoing chronic illness or pain, or perhaps a parent has died. And for us as Christians, there is a spiritual component that often creeps in. Just like the psalmist, we can start doubting that God is there at all, or we can doubt that God really does care for us. We might also start asking, where is God in my pain? And so to the next point, the psalmist's response to depression. Let's see what we can learn from how the psalmist responds to his inner turmoil. And there are at least three ways that the psalmist responds. The first one is, he remembers past worship experiences. He remembers past worship experiences. So the psalmist feels that God is far, far away from him. So he recalls times of worship at the temple. Take a look at verse 4 of chapter 42, 42 verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival? And again in chapter 43, verse 4, he looks forward to going to the temple once again. The psalmist is determined to picture himself praising joyfully, praising God with his harp again. Now, some of you might have noticed that the title of this psalm mentions that it's written by the sons of Korah. Who were the sons of Korah? <coughs> this group were the musicians. So we have musicians here this morning. And the sons of Korah were those musicians in charge of temple worship. So if you want to look it up, you can have a look at 1 Chronicles chapter 6. So Korah, the sons of Korah were involved in temple worship So, as a temple worship leader, the psalmist knew the power of corporate worship. He knew the importance of meeting together to celebrate life with God. The psalmist knew the potential of music and singing to move us to respond to God, respond to who God is and what He's done for us. Even at times when we're depressed or especially at times when we feel like we don't want to worship God. In the midst of intense darkness, the psalmist hopes for the joy of celebrating with God's people in God's presence. Can you see that in verse, chapter 42, 4? But you know, sometimes people tell me that they're Christians, but they also tell me that they don't need to go to church. And I wonder, how do they survive? How do they survive without the encouragement of brothers and sisters in Christ? How do they get on without the support of other Christians? As the experience of the psalmist shows, to be cut off from corporate worship is to be cut off from its sustaining power. And sadly, many who, are, who many don't survive who are left to their own devices. Now the importance of meeting together as Christians is reinforced in the New Testament. As it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So don't take these times of worship together lightly. By meeting together on Sundays, we can be encouraged. As we come to church camps, we can be challenged and admonished. Together, we can remind each other who God is and the salvation he's given us. And together, as we have done this morning already, we can sing joyful songs of praise to God. The gathering of God's people is an important way that God has given us to preserve each of us in our faith. The second response of the psalmist is that he clings to God's steadfast love. He clings to God's steadfast love. Now our psalm begins with a picture of the psalmist thirsting for God like a deer panting for streams of water. And some of you might know that song, right? As a deer pants for water. So it all starts very nicely, very gently, very peacefully. But then there's a violent twist in the water metaphor. Take a look at verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. So the refreshing stream is replaced by tumbling waterfalls and pounding waves. Now on the coastal route between Sydney and Melbourne is one of my favourite towns, Kayama. Has anyone been there? Kayama? If you're ever in Kayama, you have to go to experience the blowhole blowhole. As the large powerful waves crash against the back of a rock passage and then retreat out again, the compressed air forces the water up the blowhole. Can you imagine that? You Can imagine the power of the waves going out and then pushing the water up the blowhole. And when it comes out there is a loud whoosh, whooshing sound. Of course, it's accompanied by everybody's ooh and ah as we enjoy the salty sea spray on our faces. But the psalmist's water experience is not quite as enjoyable. He feels as if he's being churned up by the water. The falling sheets of water from the waterfall and the churning ocean waves threaten to drag the psalmist under. It would be like being tossed around in the blowhole itself. Despite his suffering, the psalmist never stops believing in the sovereignty of God. So if you have a look at the end of verse 7, the psalmist says, All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. So in other words, the psalmist acknowledges that the crashing waves are from God himself. Suffering and depression of the psalmist and ours is ultimately still under God's control. But just as the psalmist is struggling to keep his head above water, God tosses him a lifeline The psalmist longs to see God, and he discovers an island. The psalmist discovers an island in the middle of the sea. He finds God, whom he describes as his rock in verse 9. God will provide him safety and firm footing. As he says in verse 8, the psalmist says, Verse 8, By by day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me. So the psalmist's psalmist's hand is thrashing about in the water, and he reaches out and clings to the safety of God's steadfast love. God will command His love; He will direct it; He will pour it out. He's faithful, tenacious unfailing love. It is this great truth about God that keeps the psalmist from drowning in the turmoil of his emotions. This core characteristic of God keeps the psalmist's head above water. So that's the psalmist's second response. And this response should also be ours. We are to cling God's steadfast love. Suffering may be from God. We may not understand why we are suffering, but we can keep trusting in God's tenacious love for us, for God will never fail us in his love. The third response of the psalmist is that he preaches to himself. He preaches to himself. Take a look at verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now, not just once, but three times, this psalmist repeats this refrain. If you have a look at verse 11, chapter 42, Psalm 42, verse 11, and also 43, verse 5. It's as if the psalmist is preaching to himself. It's almost as if he's admonishing himself. Now, sometimes part of the treatment for depression and anxiety is counselling with a psychotherapist. Part of this psychotherapy will include what's known as thought training. Thought training. What it involves is identifying negative self-talk and replacing it with Positive self talk. Bad thoughts out, good thoughts in. And over time, this thought replacement will help to improve a person's mood. This branch of psychology was developed sometime in the last century. But as we look at Psalm 42 to 43, we find that the psalmist was already practicing a form of psychotherapy. In the psalmist's self-preaching, we feel the psalmist struggle as he fights to hope in God. He's fighting to hope in God. But he just won't give in to his suffering. He won't give in to his oppression. He won't give in to his discouragement. He's determined to praise the God of his salvation. So, in a similar way, instead of us looking inward and surrendering to self-pity, we also are to look up to God. In our suffering, we must be determined to be mindful of God. In our turmoil, we must be determined to hope in God, no matter what. Yet as we reach the end of the psalm, we find the psalmist is still preaching to himself. He's still encouraging himself to hope in God. And that is how the psalm ends. Unlike other psalms, it doesn't end with a note of triumph, that God is going to come and scatter his enemies. Unlike other psalms, it doesn't end on a high note of confidence in God. At the beginning of the psalm, the psalmist hopes for God, he thirsts for God. And he asks, when shall I come and appear before God? By the end of the psalm, there's still a longing. Take a look at verse 3 of chapter 43, Psalm 43, verse 3. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill. And to your dwelling, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I'll praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. So yes, the psalmist can put his trust in God, his rock, but he still aches for a time at the temple where he can praise God in joyful song once again he still longs to be in God's presence once again. So yes, there is a glimmer of light in his gloom. At times, it seems very dim. And at other times, it feels as if the light is fading to darkness. So on to the next point, the difference Jesus makes. As Christians, our hope is so much clearer than the psalmists. Living on the other side of the cross, our hope shines so much more brightly. For it is through one who thirsted on the cross, who endured as his enemies through insults at him, who felt the agony of separation from God, as he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is through Jesus that we can have our longing for God fully satisfied. And what a huge difference Jesus makes. Let me just mention two differences. So firstly, the psalmist thirsted for God as a deer pants for, for streams of water. Now Jesus says to us in John chapter 7, John chapter 7. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this Jesus had said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were about to receive. We don't need to thirst any longer, for we have Jesus the ultimate source of living water. So now as Christians, we have been given the Holy Spirit. Listen to how the Holy Spirit is described in John chapter 14, John 14, 16 to 17. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Can you see what a huge blessing this is for each of us as Christians? To have God's Spirit also called the counselor or the helper, what a comfort it is to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in each of us as Christians. What a comfort it is to have God's presence with us always. Now, the second difference that Jesus makes is this. <clears throat> the psalmist implores God to send out his light and his truth in 43.3. The psalmist wants God to lead him to God Jesus says to each of us in John 14, verse 6. John 14, verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. It is only through Jesus that we gain access to God's presence. Jesus is the truth, revealing what God is really like jesus is the life and only those who follow jesus will receive eternal life so jesus is the light the one who illuminates the path to god so the psalmist's dim and wavering hope in seeing god has now become as clear as day what was only a glimpse is now in full view the flickering candle of hope is now as bright as the noonday sun the way to god has been fully revealed in his son jesus christ jesus doesn't make a slight difference jesus makes all the difference Now, when I was growing up, I had the poem Footprints on my corkboard in my bedroom. Do you guys know that? Footprints? If you walk into any Christian bookstore, you'll see it being sold in multiple forms. Anyway, it goes like this, in case you haven't heard it. One night I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Many scenes from my life flashed across the sky. In each scene, I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints. Other times there was only one. This bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods of my time, of my life, when I was suffering from anguish, sorrow, or defeat, I could only see one set of footsteps, footprints. So I said to the Lord, You promised me, Lord, that if I followed you, you would walk with me always. But I have noticed that during the most Trying periods of my life, there has only been one set of footprints in the sand. Why, when I needed you most, why had you not been there for me? The Lord replied, The years when you have seen only one set of footprints, my child, is when I carried you. So, where is God in our pain? Where is God when we feel down, when we feel depressed? Where is God when we feel like we're about to be crushed under the weight of life's burdens? Well, God is not distant. God has not abandoned us. God is right there with us by his Holy Spirit. So keep turning up to church keep coming along to church camps and keep preaching to yourself. Preach that God's love is steadfast and tenacious and that nothing can separate us from his love for us as shown in Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life. Our light in times of darkness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do recognize that as we live on earth, in your world, that we will suffer times of depression, anxiety, feeling down, feeling depressed. We thank you, Lord, that even at these times you are with us. We thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit so that we might have your presence with us always. We thank you that you might help us to rejoice in you together uh, in times of corporate worship together as a church. Help us to rejoice in you in our lives and even in our hard times to continue to cling to your steadfast, tenacious love. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.